every step along the path you create new precedent it's okay to kill it's okay to kill for that reason it's okay to kill for this reason if it's okay to kill the infant then why wouldn't it be okay to kill the 87 year old with dementia you've eliminated the reasons why it's not okay if you're going to say it's okay to kill somebody now the question is well who do we kill and under what rules but anytime you have any rules which would say well you really can't do it in that circumstance well then the question is well why not Euthanasia is a topic that's been in the news lately. Do you know in Canada, there's actually a concept of euthanasia for poverty. We had a man who was just about to get euthanized because he was poor. There was a GoFundMe set up for him, and the head of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, a fellow by the name of Alex Schadenberg, he actually assisted with that GoFundMe. The guy's got $60,000 now and is not going to kill himself. He's found a place to live. So how can we have euthanasia for poverty? We actually don't only have that. We have euthanasia for little babies. I'm not talking about abortion, which we've always had since the 60s. Well, I'm talking actually about euthanasia after birth. We used to call it infanticide, but no, no, that's too mean a term. Euthanasia or assisted dying after birth, isn't that wonderful? It's insane. That's what it is. We're going to talk about all those things and more with the head of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, Alex Schattenberg. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Alex Schadenberg, welcome to the program. Hey, John Henry, it's great to be with you. This is uh, an important opportunity to talk about these topics. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Alex, you are not only the founder and head of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, you're also the chairperson of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition International. So you're seeing not only what's going on in North America, but across the world. So tell us about this concept of euthanasia for poverty. That sounds insane because in the beginning, you know, euthanasia when it's brought in like abortion, it's only for the most extreme case, we'll never get. And when people like you would say, oh, we're starting down a slippery slope, it's going to be for this, that, and the other thing, you're always called an extremist. But here we are. Yeah, so I said in 2016 when we legalized uh, euthanasia in Canada, now we, of course, we call it MAID to make you feel better, medical aid in dying. It's a nicer term than euthanasia, I guess. Uh, but so uh, I said at that time that how the law was worded was not going to lead to a, a slippery slope. The law was worded to be a slippery slope, that the language of the law was not defined and it was going to allow expansion. And that's exactly what happened from the beginning. But you asked me about euthanasia for poverty. So what happened in Canada in uh, 2021, in March of 2021, the government passed this bill C7, and Bill C7 expanded euthanasia in Canada for uh, the reasons of you didn't have to be terminally ill, right? That's the first thing. You didn't have to be terminally ill. It also got rid of the waiting period if you were terminally ill, so you could die the same day. You know, you could go to your doctor with your terminal condition and die the same day if you were terminally ill. But if you weren't terminally ill, you'd have a 90-day waiting period. It also uh, said that if you became incompetent, but you had already been approved, you could die by euthanasia. So this whole thing about killing incompetent people came in. But by removing the terminal illness thing and in our previous uh, law, how it was already 
worded without definition. Therefore, the disability community were right when they said, and I agreed with them completely, that this would mean that pretty much anybody with a disability would then qualify for euthanasia made. They would just qualify for it. So under that, what it means is there's a lot of people with disabilities who they're they're fine with their disability. They're, they have a quality of life. They're, they're, they're happy to be alive, but because of the fact that they're on a, a, a situation where they're living in poverty, they're now asking for euthanasia based on poverty or based on homelessness or based on you start naming all these different reasons, and that's why they're asking for it. So they're not saying, I want to die because I'm, I'm poor. Uh, I, I mean, because I have a disability, uh, they're saying I want to die because I can't live this way. I'm, I'm just, you know, in, in too, too difficult a situation. I, you know, the one lady was saying she only has forty nine dollars a month uh, for food and other things in her life, and you know, she can't live that way. It's just not possible. So I'm not suggesting that this, a, this is a good reason to kill people, but what I'm saying is the law is defined to allow that, and there's lots of doctors now in Canada, not, not. Not most of them, actually, but there is enough of them who are really pro-killing that um, that these deaths are occurring. You know, I, I'll just give you a quick uh, info on this. Uh, you remember, uh, oh, it was about six months ago, the woman who was 51 years old who had multiple chemical sensitivities, MCS, and she lived in Toronto, and she ended up dying by euthanasia, and her only condition was is MCS. So MCS is a terrible thing because you react to you know chemicals around you, etc. But because of her disability, she was living in social housing. So could you imagine having these extreme reactions where you break out and you can't breathe, and you you just have all these reactions to these chemicals and things around you, and you're living in social housing with you know who knows how many people. Obviously speaking, she couldn't escape in that housing situation. Her multiple chem chemical sensitivity reaction constantly breaking out so she died by euthanasia now remember what is the treatment for mcs it's a clean house she needed a clean place to live she needed to live in a single home uh, without you know being connected to 30 other homes and she needed to be able to be capable of keeping her place clean without uh you know things that she would be reacting to that's what she needed so she died because she didn't have a clean place to live uh, that is the kind of thing that we have today in, in, in Canada, and it's, and it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, you said something very interesting there. You said that even without a terminal illness, a person can request this euthanasia, me medical-assisted aid in dying, and they can get it, but there's a 90-day waiting period. What is the age limit on that? So can, like, you know, a teenager who just feels, like, rebellious says to his parents, I'm going to go kill myself, whatever, whatever. Can they too go and request? And they have to wait 90 days? Right now, the law says you have to be an 18-year-old or more. You have to be an adult is how the law is currently defined. Now, just to give you input, in the Netherlands, uh, they have uh, like a multi-tier law. So they have in their law that if you're between the ages of 12 and 16, you could die by euthanasia with parental approval. But their age of adult in the Netherlands is 16. So after the age of 16, someone can die by euthanasia without uh, parental uh, you know, approval. Uh, but between 12 and 16, you need parental approval in the Netherlands. So we have 18. But you know, the interesting thing about it is our current parliament is right now there's a parliamentary committee uh, talking about further expansions of euthanasia and one of the issues they're talking about is this issue of mature minors now how mature minors defined in canada is it's not based on an age it's based on an assessment so someone who's uh, 11 years old 
who seems clearly capable of understanding the outcome of the medical treatment or whatever it might be, they would be considered a mature minor, whereas someone who's 17 who doesn't seem to be capable or aware of uh, you know what's going on, they would not then be considered a mature minor. So that's how it's how the, the, they're talking about this issue of mature minors. Now, the problem with this whole concept of euthanasia for mature minors, first of all, you don't have a definition of what mature minor is. It's based on an assessment. But secondly, we already have precedent in Canada. So if you're deemed to be, so for instance, if one of your children, John Henry, were to become sick and the child says, I don't want such and such, even though it might be of their great, a great benefit to them, and your child was deemed to be a mature minor, you would have no right as a parent to say, excuse me, I disagree. This treatment is of great benefit to you. You must, you must try this treatment. No. If they're deemed a mature minor, they can make their own medical decisions, and they don't need your permission. And in fact, by law, they don't even have to talk to you. So let's put this in perspective. You could have a 13-year-old who's at, let's say, Sick Children's Hospital in Toronto who decides they want to die by lethal injection. The parents wouldn't even have to know about it until after they're dead. And that might very well come. It's already in discussion. And one of the weird parts is also you've got this situation where they're already contemplating even allowing euthanasia of babies yes after birth this is so so they're moving the abortion needle beyond uh you know the nine months which they've always had in canada all at taxpayer funded uh, expense by the way but they they talked for a long time uh, about you know at least those who would use resdirect and satire said well you know they're going to just make it afterward because it just makes sense well, it does, and they're they're coming to that now. How far off do you think we are from that? Well, that's very hard to predict, but the Quebec uh, College of Physicians are talking about uh, euthanasia for infants. And once again, the concept is very scary. Now, they have that in the Netherlands under what they call the Groningen Protocol. And the Groningen Protocol is misunderstood by many people because they would say, oh, well, you know, it's it's not that common. And you're right, actually, John Henry and whoever says it. Yeah, it's not that common. That's correct. But if you think about it, it's not that common because most babies who have uh, severe congenital issues are not allowed to be born in the first place because the parents will have had um, a test previous to the baby being born. And if the child has significant disabilities, they'll often eliminate that child, as you know. So therefore, there aren't many being born in these conditions. And this is the reality. Uh, but um, so what they're talking about then is a child who's born with a significant disability. But if you're to actually read the Groningen Protocol, what it says is that the person has to be experiencing possible future suffering. Would they follow that same lead of the Netherlands here in Canada? I don't know. The other thing is um, legalizing euthanasia for newborns totally changes the landscape of the issue of killing. Now, why do I say that? They sold this concept of euthanasia to Canadians and they sold it to people all over the world for the same reason of it's my choice, it's my autonomy, autonomy, my body, my choice, my freedom. Okay, I decide. Now, of course, with euthanasia, somebody else is killing you. That's correct. Right? It's not about me killing myself. Someone else is actually injecting me. They're killing me. Nonetheless, and I think also we should call it what it is. It's killing. I don't think we should avoid that. Uh, as much as other people get mad at us over it, I think we should say it because that's what it is. Nonetheless, this, the, the newborn can't ask for it. The newborn, it's, it has no autonomy per se. So you're now saying, oh, we're actually going to allow this based on killing someone because we consider their life not worth living. I don't know where you've seen that before, you know, John Henry. We're not supposed to talk about, you know, World War II and Nazis and things like that, but we don't actually have to because it's all about eugenics. 
And eugenics predates the Second World War. And I don't know if you've done any shows on eugenics, but the fact of it is, is uh, uh, just because the Nazis liked eugenics doesn't mean eugenics is Nazi. Uh, it's actually eugenics came first, and the Nazis liked the idea, and they killed people off for those reasons. And then we're talking about exactly the same thing in Canada, killing people because we say that that life is not worth living. And I, I, this is a, it's a pretty dark thing to do. I'm not saying euthanasia is ever, you know, acceptable. What I'm saying is, it's getting pretty dark when you're doing that. And 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 I'll go one step further. If you're going to allow that, then you've changed everything because now it's okay to kill based on, oh, I think that life is not worth living. Well, what about people with dementia and Alzheimer's? They can't request it. They might have never, ever indicated in their life that they had any interest in being killed. And now someone's looking at them saying, wouldn't it be better that we end their life? Well, if you could do it to a newborn, why can't you do it to an 87-year-old who has dementia? You know, Because you've already set the precedent that it's okay to kill, right? And this is the problem that with all of these things – Every step along the path, you create new precedent. It's okay to kill. It's okay to kill for that reason. It's okay to kill for this reason. If it's okay to kill the infant, then why wouldn't it be okay to kill the 87-year-old with dementia? You know, you've, you've eliminated the reasons why it's not okay. Now, we've seen a pretty massive jump in the numbers of people being euthanized in Canada. What are those numbers like right now, and what, what do you see happening in the future? The data is always late because the Canadian government isn't interested in up-to-date data. So uh, the latest data we have is only from last year. Uh, so we have the uh, 2021 data and show that there was 10,064 um, lethal injection deaths that year. Now, there might have been a whole bunch of deaths that were not reported. But of course, the government has done no investigation to that, so we have no idea. But there is lots of signs that there's that problem of underreported deaths, but that's a whole other story and another whole other show that we can go into. Uh, but the numbers keep increasing. So every month I receive the numbers from Ontario. So uh, other states, other provinces, I mean, are not providing the data on a monthly basis, but Ontario does. And the numbers, I, I just keep going up, 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 up. So in 2021, there was the 10,064. I predict there will be over 13,000 then in 2022. And the numbers will continue to rise. We're already at a situation where if you live in Victoria, you know, in uh, Vancouver Island, it's the highest rate of euthanasia in the world in Vancouver Island. We already have that level of uh, sad acceptance. And we have for further a lot more promotion going on. So you've got this whole situation now where doctors are being told that you're obligated to bring up the option of medical aid in dying. They're obligated to bring up the option because people have the right to all options. And as a physician, you have to provide all information. So it can think, you start thinking about this, someone who's going through a, a terrible psychological time of their life because they're, they're dealing with end-of-life issues. They're dealing with with the fact that their life is coming to an end. And there's a lot of people who deal with that in a very difficult way and they need time, they need support, they need, and yet someone's saying, well, what about medical aid in dying? Let's start thinking about what we're actually doing. We're creating more and more push to kill and less and less ability for someone to live until they die. And that seems to be what's going on. And this is so extreme in Canada and in other places in the world that physicians are required to do this or find another job. In, in fact, in and I'd like you to give us more details on this, but university students in medical school, it's a prerequisite for them to graduate in medicine to agree to do this. Is that, is that the case? 
Yes and no, but they are required not to do it. The law says very clearly that they don't have to do it. So if you were a physician who believes it's absolutely wrong to kill people and you have a patient who's asked you for euthanasia made and they've asked you for this, uh, you have the obligation not just to refer them to another physician, but it's called uh, you have to refer them to someone who's willing to make the act happen. So that's what you call, you know, a direct referral. It's it's a serious problem because, you know, uh, if you're not willing to kill someone, it's the same moral latitude issue if now you're sending them to the killer. So you didn't do it yourself, but you sent them to the killer. So you've got a lot of doctors are saying, no, uh, I don't believe in killing, and I'm not going to send you to the killer. So they're finding themselves in a lot of difficulty. Now, Manitoba is the exception to that in Canada. In Manitoba, uh, now every province is a little different because these are provincial you know, rules along the College of Physicians and Surgeons. Manitoba does have conscience rights, whereas uh, that's the only province in Canada that has conscience rights. And as of this moment, uh, Nova Scotia, Quebec, and Ontario would be the worst uh, offenders of this. So We talked about the children. But where do you think this is going? Because they're already being taught in school about MAID and how it's a great thing. Well, in school, they might be discussing it, but also there's now a whole booklet out now that's been uh, produced for children. So what happens is, is that um, uh, if, let's say, uh, your grandmother has uh, asked for medical aid and dying, the doctors are now providing these coloring books and everything to beautifully explain it to the grandchildren or to the children as to what's happening and to to make it seem so normal. They're normalizing this, you see. So this is the whole thing. It's the normalization of killing that's been going on. Even the recent ad by Simmons, Simmons, Simons, Simmons, Simons is a is a uh, retail uh, store in Canada, um, mainly in Quebec, but it does have uh, stores in most major cities in Canada. And they uh, they're designers of clothing and they sell clothing and designs and other things. They had a, a commercial recently promoting euthanasia. So they, they I guess, decided that uh, euthanasia is an important social issue. And they, are, I guess, were gambling that more Canadians support euthanasia. So therefore, we will associate Simmons with euthanasia. Last breaths are sacred. When I imagine my final days, I see bubbles. I see the ocean. I see music. Even now, as I seek help to end my life, there is still so much beauty. You just have to be brave enough to see it. And this is the kind of thing you're getting in the normalization of killing. Um, problem, the problem is, is that very few people are willing to talk about it. So, you know, the normal type of groups that who you would think would be willing to talk about it to say, well, wait a second here, you know, um, that's not happening a lot. So, so you do have this pressure, this growing concept that euthanasia is a normal thing to do. And uh, so, you know, for instance, if you talk to uh, priests or different people, they'll, they'll say to you, well, sadly, um, you know, I had parishioners who have died this way, and, and they don't always know how to deal with that. How are we going to deal with the fact that they had a parishioner, they did the funeral? Not, You know, I had a call from a, a priest saying, you know, I finished the funeral, and after the funeral, I found out the person had died by euthanasia. What am I supposed to do? I said, well, if you didn't know, Father, there's nothing you could do about that, obviously speaking. The problem is some of them do know about it, and they're, they're too soft to say, well, how are we going to celebrate the death of somebody in a church manner when we know they died? murder 
A lot of people want to confuse this issue with suicide. It's not the same as suicide when somebody else injects you. When someone else comes up with a needle and injects you, that is killing you. Uh, that's what it is. And uh, one of the reasons it's so popular, because guess what? It's easier to have someone kill you than for you to kill yourself, right? It's easier. And some people say, oh, well, you know, um, I'm, I'm concerned about the next stage, John Henry, and this whole thing about mental illness. So when I, I told you when we legalized Bill C-7 in Canada, uh, they changed a lot of the rules. One of them was to allow euthanasia for mental illness. And at the time, the government put a two-year moratorium on it. Now, here's the problem, and I you know, I don't know who's going to all be listening to the show, but technically it's actually legal now. Bill C-7 was passed in March of 2021, and in that legislation, they legalized euthanasia for mental illness alone. Now, the government announced a two-year moratorium. All that's true. But the legislation passed allowing euthanasia for mental illness alone. Therefore, if uh, a euthanasia doctor who loves to kill people uh, decides to do that, uh, would they be prosecuted for it when it's technically legal? Mm, no, I shouldn't say that because I hate to have people go that way. But right now already, there's there's talking about that now happening starting in March of 2023. I know it's happening already, sadly, but it'll become more common in March of 2023. Now, let's start thinking about this. There's a lot of people who go through issues around mental illness, uh, you know, psychiatric issues, and a lot of them, because of their health condition, they are living in poverty or they're living in homeless situations. They see people on the streets or they have they have issues with addiction and they have issues with lots of things and they need a lot of help. You know, this is a especially in this culture where they seem to get to, into that situation and people don't really care anymore. So they get stuck in there and it's hard to get them out of these situations, but they'll be able to have euthanasia for mental illness alone with a 90 day waiting period. Just a quick note before we return, if you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now back to the video. What is the answer? Because I think... You know, with the abortion argument, everybody comes to the same question. It's what about rape and incest? With the question of euthanasia, it's a similar thing, but it's the question of, well, you know, what am I going to be like when I get old? I don't want to just suffer and suffer and suffer. Uh, I might, I might want to avail myself of something like that myself. And these are, you know, the, the good people. What, what do you answer to that? There is a lot of good people who would say that, you know, they recognize that there's serious problems with euthanasia-assisted suicide because it is about killing people. But there's a lot of people who are in fear of a bad death. And, you know, we could talk about suffering all we want and everything, but the reality is it's a human reality. As a human being, there's not very many of us who are interested in suffering. And so they have a lot of fear around that. And they, and they would say that, you know, well, in certain circumstances, I can understand this. Well, you know, the problem is, is you can't have a little bit of euthanasia. It's not possible because it's the same thing that happened in Canada. When we legalized it, they said, oh, we have safeguards. Well, first of all, you know, the safeguards are really non-existent. But nonetheless, the point of it is, is uh, having rules around it, then that became discrimination. So the reason they had to change the law in Canada was they said it was discrimination to deny people who were not dying euthanasia. That was discrimination, John Henry. 
People with disabilities, that's what the, the Quebec court case was about that actually led to the striking down of the uh, of the original law and expanding it, was there was two people with disabilities who said that it wasn't right that they couldn't have euthanasia because they weren't dying, but somebody who was dying could have it. So, you know, the fact of it is, is the same thing with uh, this concept of uh, saying, well, there has to be a 10-day waiting period at first. Then they got rid of the 10-day waiting period. They said, oh, that was discrimination because, you know, what if someone's actually really suffering? How can you make them suffer for 10 days? You know, the problem at the beginning is if you're going to allow killing, if you're going to say it's okay to kill somebody, now the question is, well, who do we kill and under what rules? But anytime you have any rules which would say, well, you really can't do it in that circumstance, well, then the question is, well, why not? If it's okay to kill, well, why not for that person? And this is the whole thing now with mature minors, people with dementia, the newborn infant. Uh, we go on and on, people with mental illness. And all of it has gone totally crazy. Now, how do we respond to this? Well, the fact of it is, is um, I'm really, really focusing on how we care for our own. I recognize that I'm a human being and we're all human beings. So I'm not under any illusion that people who would normally speaking think euthanasia is a terrible idea. I'm not under any illusion that in their time of need, when they're going through maybe incredible psychological distress around the fact that they are having difficult life conditions and they're approaching, they might be approaching death or certainly going through, um, you know, difficult health conditions, that some of them might say, I, I need a way out of this, you know, because a lot of these euthanasia deaths are what I call deaths of despair. And people don't talk about it that way, but it's the truth. They talk about it, the other side talks about it as freedom, you know, and it's never been about freedom. They call it, uh, you know, autonomy. Uh, when was it autonomy? When was it about choice when somebody else lethally injected you? Like, think about it. Like, that doesn't really fly. Like, philosophically, it really starts falling down. Uh, but on top of it, as a human being, I've been telling a lot of people, you got a real problem with this because euthanasia is counter to the nature of the human person. Because all of us will go through depression at times to different degrees. But all of us will. All of us will have significant psychological distress at our times of need. You know, even if we're people of great faith, we will have difficult times and some of us will react to it in a very difficult manner. Many people feel alone. They're very alone. They, they don't have family anymore uh, or they don't have family near them anymore. Or maybe they were a little bit difficult. <laughs> Nobody wants to visit them. I shouldn't laugh about it. But there's truth to all these things. You know what I'm saying? The fact of it is, as a human being, they're now on the slate of death because of being a human being. When we think about why people actually asked to be killed, we were sold the concept that people are asking to be killed because of pain and suffering. And what are we seeing? We're seeing people asking to be killed because they say, I can't live this way anymore. And they feel pressured to, to die, to be killed. They do feel pressured, or they certainly feel psychologically pressured. And they, many times they feel that there is no choice. And I'm not suggesting that that's the way out in any way, shape, or form, but I do recognize as a human being that that's how they feel. And so the whole concept of how this was sold was all based on a lie from the beginning, the big lie. And, you know, before we legalize it, I always said, you know, if you repeat the lie enough, people will believe the lie. So you have a culture that swallowed it right up. They think it's all true, but it's not true. This is about, as I say, uh, abandonment. They call it freedom. I call it abandonment. It's abandoning people at the time of need. And we're talking about real human beings who are going through a difficult, difficult time of their life. And what are we doing? We're giving them deaths of despair. We're taking their life rather than providing them what they truly need, which is the other person. They need, they need interdependence. They need people who care about them. They need an opportunity to, um, you know, seek 
a faith perspective at that time, rather than someone saying, well, you can have death. We'll give you death. You know, death becomes pretty easy at times, you know, especially with some of these people. We've had a, there's been a, quite a few cases of people, and when you start reading them through, are people who said, I can't get medical treatment. But I, I've been approved for medical aid and dying, but I can't get medical treatment. And you start thinking that through, thinking, I mean, you're in severe back pain, like the one guy in Niagara region. He's in severe back pain. He says, I can't get medical treatment. I've been trying. I have had no luck getting medical treatment. But they approved me for medical aid and dying. Like, it's, it's really ridiculous. It's sinister more than ridiculous. Because a long time ago, you had discussed the concept of the quote-unquote need for euthanasia because of economic reasons. Because they will see it as a cheaper alternative. We've already devalued life through abortion. Life means nothing. So we can snuff it out if we cho so choose. Just to do it legally, whatever that means. But it's a cheaper way of dealing with people. Totally disregards the dignity of the human being, of course. But you also proved that in another way. It was probably some eight years ago now that you wrote about the pufferfish and the new availability of paid medications that we're not investing in, even though they would help and work. Yeah, I'm glad you remember that because, in fact, the pufferfish is being used in China as a painkiller very effectively. But uh, yeah, it, they were doing uh, they were doing research here in Canada to get it approved. And that was a long time ago, actually. It was more than eight years ago. But um, what happened is, is that uh, uh, they found that it was very effective for people who have uh, drug addictions. So they, it was, uh, it's a channel blocker, right? So if you use the venom from the puffer fish in very small amounts, it works as an effective channel blocker. So if you have this desire for the drugs and then you are given a little bit of this venom into your system, it actually is an excellent channel blocker, which means you feel you don't feel the same desire for those drugs that you're addicted to, and it helps them get off of uh, their drugs. So they've been using it for that. It's been approved for that. Uh, but uh, you know they're not using it for pain in North America that I know of in any way. So these are the kind of things that exist. But the fact of it is, is that at the same time is, uh, you know, we've normalized killing. And this is a serious thing when you've normalized killing, because now suddenly the concept reverses on us. So as I say, when you when you legalize killing and then you normalize it, everything turns upside down. Everything is upside down. So now it becomes a situation that if you or I were in the hospital, we're saying, excuse me, but I'm not interested in euthanasia. Someone might look at you, depending on your medical condition, of course, and they'd be thinking, well, what do you mean? You know, you have this condition. You might suffer for a while. Like, why, why wouldn't you want that? And then, of course, it goes to the further step. The, the more and more that there is a, a demand in our medical system for the resources, et cetera, you're actually wasting the resources. You're using up the resources rather than dying. So, therefore, it becomes the hero thing to die by euthanasia. It is not a good thing then to live. This is the kind of thing we get. It goes upside down. Now, what I'm just going to quickly talk about something else that makes Canada worse than the Netherlands and Belgium. As bad as the Netherlands and Belgium are, Canada's worse. Now, we don't yet have child euthanasia yet. Now, we're getting there, sadly. I hope we don't go there, but it appears that's where we're going. Uh, this is terrible because, you know, none of this, none of this is something I would ever think is any good. And yet I'm talking about it thinking, well, this is where we're going. Um, and yet what's different about the Netherlands and Belgium is they have protocols which say if you want euthanasia and you're not dying, then you must try effective treatments. 
And we don't have that in Canada. Now, I'm not saying you can ever force someone to try effective treatments. I understand that you can't force someone to try any treatment. But their protocols say that if you want euthanasia and you're not dying, then you can be approved, but you must attempt effective treatment. So therefore, in the Netherlands, you have, first of all, people that are, for instance, for psychiatric conditions, the protocol says they must wait a year, so they can't have it for a year. Now, in Canada, we're talking about 90 days. And you have to try effective treatments. So they're not saying to you, we're going to force you to have treatment. What they're saying is, if you want me to kill you, you must at least try effective treatment. We're not going to be doing that in Canada. There's nothing in our statutes, and there's no talk about saying to somebody, well, you know, if we're going to kill you, we have to at least try effective treatment. So what's happening is that it's going to become much wider because it'll be easy to get, and you don't even have to try treatment. So the one doctor, Dr. John Mayer, who's a psychiatrist who specifically deals with people in heart cases, he said several of his patients say to him, I don't want treatment anymore because I want euthanasia, and I know it's going to be available to me soon. So if I just say no to medical treatment of any sort, then I know I'll be sick enough, psychiatrically that is, to have euthanasia. This is all beyond. It's all beyond what anybody would say is normal or acceptable. And yet uh, in Canada, it's like, we have a great system. No, we don't have a great system. We're killing people right, left, and center. We shouldn't be killing anybody, first of all. There's no need to kill anybody. But once we're doing it, obviously speaking in our system and how we've defined things, it's ridiculous. I'm going to make one more comment too. And I know I'm talking on too long. You're probably saying, oh gosh, Alex. Anyway, the fact is, is uh, <laughs> the fact is, is the Alan Nichols case really jumps at me. So on August of 2019, Alan Nichols died by euthanasia. He was only depressed. Okay, he was only depressed. But Alan Nichols had been depressed many times in his life. When he was a teenager, he had a brain tumor and they did surgery on him. And the surgery was successful, but throughout his life, he was always, you know, emotionally up and emotionally down. He did work during his life. So people might say, oh, you know, these disabled people, people talk like that. They shouldn't, but they do. Anyway, no, no. Alan worked during his life. He was, he was a janitor. He was, he was not a poor man. He was, he had been gainfully employed all his life. Now he's 61 years old. Uh, he was brought into the hospital by the police to protect himself because he was in a deep depression. His neighbor had noticed that he had not gone out of his apartment for three days and not opened any or closed any windows or his shutters or anything. And so the police came, knocked down his door, brought him to the Chilliwack Hospital to protect him. He went into the psychiatric ward and he asked for euthanasia. Somebody going through suicidal ideation asking to have their life ended is not uncommon. The difference is now that we had legalized euthanasia, the doctor said, oh, okay, we've got a euthanasia request. He was approved for euthanasia and he died by euthanasia. Now think about this. His family were distraught. They were distraught because this was not the first time Alan had gone through deep depression. This was not the first time Alan had, was suicidal. Alan needed help. He needed support. He needed a bit of time, too. Instead, he, he was killed. And then they say this is all about freedom, choice, and autonomy. It's all about a lie. Sorry, it's all about a lie. It's about killing somebody who is certainly medically vulnerable, but it's an abandonment to death, an abandonment to death. And this is what's going on. Alex, what's your advice on what people can do? And also, where can people find out more information about you and all that you do? 
Well, Euthanasia Prevention Coalition is easy to find. You can Google us. Uh, I don't know if I should use the word Google, but anyway, you can find us very easy. We're not hard to find. My blog is the world's largest source of information on euthanasia and assisted suicide in the world. I've been maintaining this blog since 2007. And uh, anything you want to know about euthanasia or assisted suicide or anything you don't want to know about it, it's all there. And on top of it, so how do we deal with this? I think we have to recognize that, that the culture has gone very, 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 very sick. We need to look at how I care for the our own. You know, if you know somebody in your neighborhood, you know a family member, you have a friend, someone who goes to church and now has got a significant illness. You know, suffering alone is a hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. We have to be caring people. We have to take it upon ourselves to do that and be involved in people's lives. We have to go out of our way. We can we can form organizations to do visiting. We visit the people. We identify. Then you then uh, you visit your friends. You get to know these people. You help these people. This is a you know a really uh, a corporal work of mercy. You're recognizing as a human being, we need others. We need to be with others. That's how we're made to be. We are normal in the sense that we need to have others in our lives. When I say these are deaths of despair, how you reverse the concept of deaths of despair is by caring for people and being there for them. So I can't necessarily save every life. I might not be able to change the whole world, but I can change some lives and I can be there for others and we can make a big difference in this world. Um, you don't have to be a doctor or a nurse or a psychiatrist or a psychologist to make the difference in this world. You just need to be a person who cares. And you need to be willing to go out of your way and do that. We also have a group we work with called Compassion Community Care, and it does visitor training sessions and things like that. And I think that's very important because we need to know, you know, the skills around visiting because some people don't do a lot of visiting. They need to know these skills. The other thing is advocacy. If you have a friend who's quite elderly, has uh, multiple health issues, and they're visiting their doctors on a regular basis, maybe you could say, can I go with you? You know, can I be there with you? Why? Because uh, you know your friend. And if you show up to the doctor's office with your friend, who's maybe quite elderly, or maybe a person with a disability who has multiple health issues, they see that that person is part of a community. They are important, right? They're important to someone. They are then viewed differently. And if someone starts talking about euthanasia to them, you could say, no, we're not interested in euthanasia. We're looking at uh, a basic care to make sure he's got a good life. You know, we're trying to make sure that the care he needs is provided, things that are of benefit to him are provided. This is what we're looking for to stand up for people, to help people. But I mean, we have to go out of our way. If you're uh, believing in a culture of life, the culture of life is built by how we care for others. And it's witnessed by what we do by for others. And we need to be doing this. We need to go out of our way. I get phone calls constantly. People say, well, how do you deal with that? Well, first of all, you listen. Sometimes you do a lot of listening. And sometimes you can offer some really good advice. Uh, and sometimes you can direct someone to somebody else who can actually help them. Um, but, you know, this is the kind of thing. Uh, people are human, and uh, we've really lost this concept of what it means to be human. And the only way we can resurrect that is by building this culture of life and recognizing the nature of the human person. We need to be with others in community. Alex Schoenberg, thank you for being with us on the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you, John Henry. God bless you, and God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this video. And to see more like this, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. So check out our links in the description to read more, sign up for our newsletter, and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all of the latest life, family, and culture news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.